verses 11 through 16. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Oh, already there's crickets. Wow. Man, that's harsh. Tough crowd. Um, Yes, just to get that out of the way, I did get a haircut this week. Thank you for asking. I went into the shop and I said, make me look like a movie star, and they sent me out looking like Todd Dornan. <laughs> he must be famous somewhere, I guess. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you for... <laughs> Thank you for being here this morning. It, it is a, a, indeed a privilege to get to speak to you and, and to get to speak to you on the day before Valentine's Day, which also happens to be Super Bowl Sunday. I love it when we have this convergence of things like this because then I don't have to work so hard to come up with a topic. So this morning, we're talking about love and war, love and war. And those are two ideas that are kind of married together like this, aren't they? Love and war, especially when it comes to our relationships. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but uh, I want to set a little bit uh, of background, set the stage for you for what we're going to discuss. So you have this long grid looking thing today and we're going to we're going to fill that in lord willing but before we do i, I need to give you a, a little bit of uh, background to what we're discussing and in acts chapter 19 we have an account recorded for us by uh, historian luke of an, an occasion where paul now you know who paul was one of the most famous guys in all the bible wrote about two-thirds in the new testament paul is in the city of ephesus And he's kind of creating an uproar because he's going around telling people, well, let me just read to you from Acts chapter 19. So here it is on the screens. Um, Well, first of all, let me preface that by saying relationships are complicated, okay? Would you you agree with that? Relationships are complicated? Okay, I got an amen from Shelly over there. Sorry, Delane. Relationships are complicated. (laughs) All right. Relationships are complicated. Uh, going to Acts chapter uh, 19, your point, what do you point? Oh, oh, oh yeah, uh, Corey's giving me a thumbs up. Yes, they are. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, we have Paul in Ephesus. Paul went to the synagogue, that's the Jewish church, and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message, and 
uh, publicly speaking against the way, capital W, because that's, that's what it was originally called, Christianity. So Paul left the synagogue, and he took some believers with him. They held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So Paul, Paul is in Ephesus. He preached for three months. It caused a bit of controversy there in the Jewish church. So they left the Jewish church. He found another place to basically had a split from the synagogue. He took a bunch of people with him, and he preached there to those people in a public place for about three years before moving on to the next place. But it gets a lot more complicated than that. If you, this is still Acts chapter 19. If you skip down to verse 23, you read that about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. Again, that's ancient Christianity. It began with a guy named Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Maybe you heard of her from when you were in high school. He kept many craftsmen busy, so they, they made a living making these little altars, making these little uh, images of the Greek goddess Artemis. Um, he called them together along with the other em others employed in similar trades, and he addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. Our pocketbooks are tied to this business. But as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. These idols that we create, that we sell, that provide food for us and our families, he's telling people that they aren't really gods. And furthermore, people are believing him. And so our profits are going down. He's affecting our bottom line. And, and he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess, worshipped throughout the province of Asia, Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her prestige. You might, you might remember that the temple of Artemis was actually one of the seven, uh, ancient, seven wonders of the ancient world. It doesn't exist anymore, but this was a big deal. These people gathered in the temple of Artemis. At this, their anger, the anger of all these people he's talking to, boiled and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Now inside, the people were all shouting some one thing and some another, and everybody was confused. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed a guy forward named Alexander, how would you like to have been him, and told him to explain the situation. It's not really what you think. He motioned for silence, and he tried to speak, but as soon as he opened his mouth and they realized he was a Jew, they shouted him down. They kept it up for two hours, shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours that went on. So Paul, all of that to say that Paul had a very complicated relationship with the people of Ephesus. Wouldn't you say? Pretty complicated. Now, the events that we just read took place around AD 54, 57, something like that. Really interestingly, we have a letter written back to the city of Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. It's in your New Testament. It's called, oddly enough, Ephesians. And it was written while Paul was under house arrest in the city of Rome about six years later, AD 60 to 63 or so. So about six years have transpired from what we just read 
and what Paul is writing to them now. So he's had a lot of time to think about what he wants to tell the people in the church at the city of Ephesus. And here's what he has to say. to them. You might think that he'd say, don't trust those people. Don't give them the time of day because they're just going to stab you in the back. They won't care about what you have to say. They aren't going to listen to you anyway. Just forget them. Leave them alone. Stay to yourselves. Try as much as possible not to get involved in politics. Just, just stay out of it. But this is what he says. I pray that from God's glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, I love this verse, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. Reminds me of the, you know, the old children's chapel song, deep and wide. How wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love is. May you experience the love of Christ though it, it's too great to understand fully. He just said, may you have the power to understand. And then the very next verse he says, well, I mean, honestly, if we're being real, nobody can understand it. It's too, it's too wide, it's too long, too high, too deep. Then you will be made complete. Get that. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And here's the takeaway that I want you to get from what we just read. God wants to complete you. Yeah, there's no blank to write this in, but you might want to anyway. God wants to complete you, and a complete life is rooted in God's love. We just read it in those verses in four different ways. I don't know if you picked that up in the highlights there. We just read it four different ways that a complete life is rooted in God's love. So Paul goes on talking to the Ephesians he, he says to them uh, in, in the verses following, he, he rolls out for them some of the ways that love is transferred in the church, some of the gifts that have been given to the church to make sure that the people feel God's love. And he says, God gives these gifts and will continue to give these gifts until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. His body is the church. He makes the whole body, church, fit together perfectly, and as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. So here again in these verses, you have at least three times Paul talking about being rooted in God's love and growing and maturing because we are full of it. God's love, I mean. And if you're taking notes, here's something else you might want to jot down. Again, you don't have a blank for this, but it's worth remembering. God's team, today's Super Bowl Sunday, right? God's team 
as he explains here, Paul explains here in Ephesians, is the church. This is, this is his body. We are accomplishing his work. He left us here to do the work. We are God's team. And God's playbook is truth and love. That's it. That's our, those are our plays. That's what we run. We tell people the truth and we tell them in love. But that's tricky because as we've already discussed, relationships are complicated. We have that example of Paul's relationship with the people at Ephesus. So what's that big table there about that's in your worship guide? We're going to fill that in together now. We're going to have to do it pretty quick. But before we do, here's some blanks for you to fill in. You're welcome. Love is not a game. It's not a game. I mean, in spite of what songs will tell you, love is not a game. But love does take practice. Here we are on this team together. We're part of the church, God's team. And if we're going to be loving, we're going to have to practice loving. Because love does not come naturally, at least not godly love. Not God's kind of love. I mean, sure, you, you fall in love with uh, your husband or your wife, raise a family, but it's just as easy to fall out of love as it is to fall in. Godly love is not like that. Godly love does not come naturally. It takes practice if you want to maintain it. So you've got this table in your um, worship guide. As I was preparing this message, this just laid out perfectly. I, I thought, wow, how marvelous God has put this team together, and like a football team on Super Bowl Sunday, He's going to help us cross the goal line. We're going to score a touchdown together this morning. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. So you have this table, and you have a bunch of columns in this table this morning, and you might, at the top of the columns, you might want, might want to write this down. So where is the first column? It's a real small one. And then who is the column after that? And then what? And then how or why? And you can see that I've color-coded these for you. Where is orange? Who is yellow? What is green? And how or why is blue? This is what coaches do, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not your coach, but this is, they, they diagram. They call plays and stuff like that. So I, this was fascinating to me as I began to study this, how God has just laid this out over and over again about relationships and how exactly it is that we're supposed to demonstrate love. Because saying, hey, you ought to love. You really should love because love is of God and it's a good thing. I'm not wrong, but I'm not real practical either. But thank God, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave us some extremely practical advice in chapters 5 and 6. Beginning in the first verse. So where is chapter 5, verse 1? So you just write 5, colon 1. Chapter 5, verse 1, he wrote, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. That's what we're supposed to do. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. And, and who's supposed to do it? You. You are. I am. We are. We're supposed to do it. We are supposed to imitate God in everything we do. And why or how? Do we do it? Because you are his children. 
That's why. That's why. So if you're filling this in on your diagram, it would look like this. Where is 5-1? Who is you? That's literally what it says. You. What is imitate God in everything you do? And how or why is because you are his dear children. Simple, right? I'm going to blow your mind. Look at the next verse. Verse 2. Live a life filled with love. Well, that's a what, isn't it? Isn't that a command, something we're supposed to do? Live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. Well, that's, that's how. That's how we live a life filled with love. We follow his, we do. You remember when you were in, uh, you're in this youth group and these kids used to wear the WWJD bracelets? You remember that? And it kind of got passe, it kind of got old, it kind of got silly. You know, you'd make fun of those kids for wearing. But it's such a good question. What would Jesus do? It's a great question. Even better question, what did Jesus do? Look it up. It's written down. I mean, what would Jesus do is fine, but that's kind of an opinion, isn't it? Look up what he did. Know your Bible. That's, it's written, for your edific- it's written to, to help you know. And, and, and who is supposed to be living a life filled with love, following the example of Christ? Who? Us. Again, that's you and me, right? So if we're filling this in, the 20-yard line is 5-2, us, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. What comes after 20? 30-yard line. Here we go. Further, submit to one another. Well, submit, that's, that's a what? That's something we're supposed to do. A- and who is supposed to do it? Who? Who's supposed to do it? Yeah, one, one another. It's right there. It's in yellow. Yellow, yellow shoe. One another. Submit to one another. And why? Why do we do it? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, you can talk back. It's okay. Out of reverence for Christ. We do it out of reverence for Christ. So if you're filling it in, on the 30-yard line is 521. Who is one another? What is submit to one another? And how or why is out of reverence for Christ? Now, that I got you warmed up. I'm going to start meddling. Sorry. No, I'm not sorry. This is what the Bible says. So don't take it out on me. Take it up with God. Verse 22. I said all that so you could brace yourself. Verse 22 says, for wives. Oh, boy. <laughs> this means submit to your husbands. That's a what? Submit to your husbands. Wives are the who. As to the Lord is how. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. By the way, how is Christ the head of the church? He's the best, most loving head that is possible. He's the Savior of his body. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. This is not popular. I understand. I really do. But it's true. 
And believe it or not, it is loving. When it works as it should, when it works the way God intended, it's a beautiful and loving thing. So, let's move on, shall we? All the way, ladies can breathe a sigh of relief because now we're going to pick on the guys. 522 is for wives. It says, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. 525 says, for husbands. Yes, finally, right, ladies? Finally, this means, husbands, be the same kind of head that Jesus was. Love your wives. That's the what. The who is husbands. As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave up his life for her. That's a lot of love, wouldn't you say? To make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. And ladies, if you're filling this in for your man, probably at this point, yeah, then it's 525, husbands, love your wives, Christ loved the church, and you're really going to like this part because men get it twice. In verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives. Yes, I know. God says in Ephesians 5 that ladies should submit to their husbands. But he says twice to the men, love your wives. So you got to love her twice as much as she submits to you, okay? That's the, no? You don't like that idea? All right. Husbands ought to love their wives. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. So we've already had it once in verse 25. Now we get it again. The husbands do in verse 28. Husbands ought to love their wives in the same way. In the same way that Christ loved the church. Twice they get it. So we picked on the wives. We picked on the husbands. Who's left to pick on? Not me, it's uh, the Apostle Paul. How about, how about children? Children, first verse of chapter 6 says, obey your parents. That's a what? Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. That's a why. Because you belong to the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. You've heard that before. It's one of the big Ten Commandments. This is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. So now we pass the 50-yard line. It took us two plays to get past the 50-yard line. That's where the men are. Sixth one, we have children. Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. We're headed to the, to the end zone now. Who's left? Fathers. Or parents, more genetically, generically, genetically. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. There's your what, there's your why, there's your who. Fathers, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. And that's in chapter 6, verse 4. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm just reading it straight out of the Bible for you, and we're going back to elementary school, maybe junior high school, where you learned how to diagram sentences. Do you remember doing that? You remember learning diagramming where you have to write the line? I always loved diagramming. I thought it was a lot of fun. And the more I did this this week, the more I realized that's kind of what this is. This is like a diagram, only it's shaped like a football field. If they taught us diagramming like this in school, I might have actually enjoyed it. Um, how about this one? Sla slaves, and we don't really do slaves today, but employees. Let's talk employees. Obey your earthly masters with deep, deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. We're on the 20-yard line now. Verse six, Chapter 6, verse 5 says, Slaves or employees, serve them sincerely as you'd serve Christ. 
So we have the where, the who, the what, serve them sincerely, the why or the how, as you would serve Christ. But slaves get it, employees get it a second time. And uh, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ or employees of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. So employees are told a second time to do the will of God with all your heart. And why? Because we're slaves to Christ. We're not Christ's employees. We're slaves to Christ. And we're all employees of somebody. So Paul gives it to him a third time, believe it or not, in, in verse 7. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than working for people. A third time, Paul says to these people who then were slaves, who now we can think of we, as employees, us, he says, serve them sincerely, do the will of God with all your heart, and work with enthusiasm as you'd serve Christ, as slaves of Christ, as for the Lord. And then finally, we're down to the 10-yard line. Masters, employers, people who have people working under you. Treat your employees in the same way. Don't threaten them. Treat them in the same way, the same way they treat you with respect, sincerity. Yeah. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven. So, if you're filling in, this is what it would look like. Chapter 6, verse 9, masters or employers, treat your employees in the same way. Don't threaten them because you both have the same master in heaven. Now, having filled all that in, I know it's a lot of writing. Your hands are probably cramping by now. I want to know if you noticed what was in common about this last column in every single instance, the how or why always includes what? That's right. Every single time. The how or why is rooted in Jesus. It's rooted in Christ. He is the reason why we love. He is the answer to our complicated relationships. When we follow his teachings, when we do what he would do, when we do what he did, life gets a whole lot simpler for us. So, there isn't anything else in Scripture. There are no more exhortations, no more instructions. The touchdown is up to you. What are you going to do with the word that has been brought this morning. Hmm? How are you going to apply it? Where is it going to transform you? Where is God's love going to make a difference in your life? Because without that, without that practical application to your life, all of this is just junior high English class. We've been diagramming sentences. It's pointless. You might, got, you might have gotten a little bit of Bible training, but Jesus did not come to give us information. He came to give us life, abundant life. So to review, one last time, God's team is what? Who's God's team? You remember? That's right. God's team is the church. Very good. You got that, and I didn't even have a blank for you to write it down. Well done. God's team is the church. That's us. And his playbook is? That's right. His playbook is truth and love. 
And there's, there's been a lot of talk this year about the Super Bowl and who's in it. But when it comes to the work of the church and truth and love, Jesus is the playmaker. We cannot tell the truth in love. We cannot even experience God's love. We certainly can't share God's love without Jesus. He is the root from which we all grow if we want to have love in our lives. So how about it this morning? Is love something that's lacking in your life? Could you use more love? Oh, come on. I don't know anybody that would say they couldn't use more love. Everybody needs more love. But where do you think you're going to find it? You think you're going to find it in the checkout line at the grocery store in those magazines? You think you're going to find it by looking at a computer online? Do you think you're going to find it on a blog or in a self-help book? Do you think you're going to find it in a dating app? Do you think you're going to find it at the bar? Real love, satisfying love, can only be found in Jesus. There's a God-shaped hole inside all of us. It was put there by Him when we were made, and it can only be filled by Him through the person and the work of Jesus Christ.